And our scripture passage this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Um, it is the New International Version, which is um, also what is in the pews, so if you would like to look it up in your pew Bible, you're welcome to, but it will also be on the screen for us. John 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. May God's word shape us and form us. Amen. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Amen. Erica lowered it like way down here. I was like, no, come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm not fragile. Um, so we are in the second week of our new series, uh, New Year's series on uh, the vision and values and ethos of Renew. And more than... Um, more than a catchy vision statement or a list on our website, uh, we're trying to end the series, we're just trying to capture the DNA and the family tra uh, traits of Renew because I can say all that I want about what Renew is about. We can say anything we want uh, on the website. Um, but really, when you come here, when, you do, when we do life together and when we do ministry and live out um, our calling as the body of Christ, what really are we about? What are you experiencing as you dive into community in this place? And so that's what we're talking about. And this week, I've entitled um, the sermon, Hashtag Be Church. So the series is called Hashtag Be Renewed. Our name is Renew. And if you remember the cartoon series, The Smurfs, they would take the word Smurfs and, and use it as a verb for everything, right? We're smurfing around. We're smurfing it, right? And that's what we tend to do at Renew. We say, hey, Renewsters, that's what we're called. We're renewing it. Let's go renew. We're about renewing our neighborhoods and being renewed by God. We're smurfing, oh, we're renewing around. Um, and uh, if you look at our um, social media, you'll see a lot, hashtag be renewed. And hashtag be renewed basically means, man, God is doing some amazing things in our neighborhood. God is doing amazing things in our church. In this picture, you see God doing amazing things in people and through people. Hashtag be renewed, right? 
And so that's what we're about. Hashtag be renewed. And this week is about hashtag be church. Um, so if you can hit that next slide. Yeah, yeah, we'll get back to that. <laughs> there we go. This is a ripoff. So I, I was thinking about various examples. And this is the uh, cafe and concessionari uh, in a movie theater. And no doubt popcorn is 20 bucks and a, a drink is like 25 bucks. And so I was thinking about places, anywhere that you are trapped in a place that now has a monopoly on items of necessity, right? And you may say, well, popcorn, you don't have to buy the popcorn. Popcorn isn't a necessity. Yes. But for me and Pastor Erica, popcorn <laughs> is a necessity, right? We're the type of people that go to the movies to eat the theater popcorn, right? <laughs> but anywhere you're trapped in a place and you can only buy their food or you can only get their item or you need popcorn and that's where you're going to get it. You can't bring it from outside. I can't bring a bottle of Coke in my pocket and go into the theater, right? They're going to say, no, no outside food and drink. So they've got you. They've got a monopoly. You have to buy it so they can charge whatever they want. Popcorn and soda at a movie theater. What? We say that's highway robbery, right? That's highway robbery. Robbery. This is a ripoff. What else? What else? If you go to a baseball game, right? In, in uh, Safeco, what's it called now? T-Mobile, T-Mobile something. Um, Mariner Stadium, let's call it Mariner Stadium. You go there, right? Post 911, you cannot bring any containers full of liquids or anything like that, right? So you have to get something to drink there. You can buy one of those souvenir cups for 20 bucks. You get to keep the plastic cup. Uh, and you get refills over and over, but it's still like 20 bucks. A hot dog, right? One of those puny ones that you can buy in the store, right? For like five bucks a pack, you know, costs like $10 for a little hot dog. So they can charge you whatever they want. It's what? It's highway robbery. It's a ripoff. If you've ever been to an all-inclusive resort in Hawaii or in one of those places, and it's gated, and there's no stores for miles around. You'd have to Uber to a grocery store, but they have their little markets, right? And the little markets, sunscreen costs another 20 bucks, right? Highway robbery. So as pastors with the covenant, we go to midwinter, what's called midwinter, which is a conference that's coming up in a week. And usually it's in Chicago, and we stay in this hotel in Chicago where there's, for miles, there's no restaurants or foods. On top of that, it's just usually snowy, so you'd have to, you'd have to trudge miles and miles through the snow just to get, like, rest or go to McDonald's for, like, a cheap meal. So we, we need to eat in the hotel, right? And they are a ripoff, right? Like, eating at midwinter in Chicago you have to pay like more than you spent on the hotel and the flight there, right? Just to eat for a week, right? So what I did is I started doing Uber Eats or you know like Grubhub, those apps, and I just like get them to send me a big pizza and I just eat it like a piece each day. Right? <laughs> poor pastor, poor pastor. 
Rip off. But let me add to this list the grains and the live animals and the sacrifices needed um, to make sacrifices in the temple, in the temple in Jerusalem. And in those days in Jerusalem, um, in the Old Testament, God commanded his people make, make uh, pilgrimages to Jerusalem, to the temple, three different times, during the Passover um, and two other times. And so Jerusalem, during these festivals, would, they would triple. They would, it would be exponential, the, the, the population growth. So uh, commentators say you know, maybe 400,000 people usually in Jerusalem at the time. It would go to two to three million people during Passover because people would be making their pilgrimages into Jerusalem to make their sacrifices um, at the temple. And in the temple, remember from Ephesians, you can hit the next slide. If you remember in Ephesians last month, we talked about the court of the Gentiles and the inner courts, court of women, court of men, and then where the priests, the holy of holies. But outside was the court of the Gentiles, right? And uh, kind of there was a wall separating the court of the Gentiles from the inner part of the temple. And then there was the stone, right, that said, no, no Gentile should pass this point um, under punishment of death, right? And that's where into that Jesus is saying, right, I have come to break down the barriers of hostility. Right? I am the cornerstone. Uh, Christ is our peace. But during this time and during the time of, of festivals, uh, the court of the Gentiles would be packed with merchants and money changers and dealers of grains and live animals forced because people needed them to make their sacrifices. So these places would be packed. Just imagine street markets where it's just full of people and people are bartering and, and paying for them these things. But it's like going inside a movie theater. The prices inside are just astronomically multiplied, exponentially multiplied in price. And people are making a buck, right? Really making money off of the system of worship itself. Mm -hmm. right? So this is what Jesus is walking into. And to give a little uh, kind of setting for John, the Gospel of John, in this passage, this is John chapter 2, so it's at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. John chapter 2. It's right after the beginning of John chapter 2, Jesus' first sign or his first miracle was what? He turns water into wine, right? He comes to a wedding. Um, they run out of booze, right? And the people are freaking out. And Jesus' mom comes to Jesus, can you do something? And he's like, bring me some water. And he changes water into wine. And finally, kind of the host of the party, of the wedding party is like, Man, or the guests were like, you saved the best wine for last. Usually you wait till they're drunk and then you give them the hams or the, you know, the non-micro brew, right? And you don't, you save the micro, right? You, <laughs> the cheap beer for later, but you save the best for last, Right? Jesus, his very first miracle and John, his very first sign was to help a party and a celebration keep going. Mm -hmm. Jesus helped to continue life mm -hmm. and abundance and joy to continue going, a fellowship of people. Mm -hmm. 
which is amazing. So in that, you know, John is introducing a Christ. What is he about? Right? It's something different. It's like, you know, he's rocking the boat. And then right after that, he comes in the temple and he overturns. It says he's angry, right? He makes a whip and just starts thrashing on people and turning over, you know, tables and money changers and coins are falling on the ground and people are like, what, what, what? And they don't step to him because they just see, right, the fierceness and the power and the authority and just the sense of righteous anger that's happening. The synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, not John, have Jesus cleansing the temple later, right? Um, later, uh, when he enters into Jerusalem for the final time, he cleanses the temple. And that's actually the straw, right? The last straw for the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And that's what leads to his arrest, right? And his um, crucifixion. But here in John, John puts it at the beginning. And you're like, oh, so did he do it twice or what happened? Um, and this, just a little insight into the Gospels, into the Bible. We sometimes approach the Gospels like it should be like our history books in school, right? It should follow a chronological order. It should be ordered, you know, historically, and it should be historically accurate. This is not, the Gospels aren't, it is a reaccounting of Jesus, what Jesus' life and the things that he did. But more than that, the gospel writers are also trying to make a theological point. They're trying to arrange these pieces of their, uh, what they remember about Jesus' ministry in a way to also make a point about something. Like what is church? Who is, who is their audience? Right? Is our, my audience mostly Jews who are in the church or, or this and that? And I think John's agenda or kind of theological emphasis is who is Jesus and what is this Jesus about? And with this first sign, the uh, turning water into wine, we see sign after sign that Jesus does, right? Putting himself in the center of things. This is who I am. I am. And you, you know in the Gospel of John, there are a lot of I am statements, right? And the I am often in your Bible may be capitalized, right? All caps, just like where? In Exodus, in the Old Testament, where God's like, I am, like the name of God, I am. Jesus, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. I am, I am, I am. Basically, Jesus saying, I am God. And in this passage, what angers everyone is he's saying, I am the temple. I am the very presence of God. Not the temple itself, not the building itself, but I am the holy temple. And you, my body will be destroyed and three days it will rise again. Right? And this is, the, this is what holds the glory of God. Right? I am. And you Later on, the New Testament writers, you are the body of Christ. Right? Once again, Paul in Ephesians saying the whole building is being built up. Even now, you are God's holy temple being built up now together as a witness, as ambassadors, 
of Christ's reconciliation in the world, a new people. You are Christ's body. We are the church. And isn't that awesome? I think that's amazing because Jesus is turning something upside down. And I'll point it out here. What I'll point out is that what do they say to him? You are saying you're going to destroy this temple and raise it up in three days? What do they say? How long did it take for them to build the temple? It's taken us 46 years to build this up. Right? Can you imagine if like, yeah, we're going to start a building fund and a capital campaign and it's going to take us 46 years. But trust me. Trust my leadership as a pastor. We need to build this building. It's going to have crystals, right? And like lead lights everywhere. And I'm going to get finally get my crystal podium that glows in the dark. And everyone is going to wear. In fact, we're all going to have VR goggles in the pews, right? And you can experience, while I'm speaking, you can experience worship in the way you want to worship, right? You put on VR glasses, it's like beer goggles, right? But it's like holy goggles. And the pastor, all of a sudden, he's 6'4", and he has blonde hair, blue eyes. Yes, now I can receive from Jesus. Um... <laughs> VR goggles. Um, <laughs> where was I? Where was I? <laughs> 46 years. 46 years to build the temple. And don't get me wrong. I mean, in scripture, God gives John, uh, who's the son of David? Solomon. Solomon. <laughs> there you go. Instructions to build the temple. Right? And then the Exodus, he gives them instructions to build you know, the tabernacle, and they're very detailed, and people give of their items for that temple to be built up. It is important to God what we build and what we, that we lay our best down um, to him. But there's going, there's a line, and then there's crossing the line, right? There's going overboard with that, where we begin to worship the thing above the thing maker, right? The creation above the creator, right? And the thing that holds supposedly God versus worshiping God himself, amen? And so be church, be church. I think there's a paradigm shift here. It's not about what you build in 46 years. It's about God's presence and my body, right? And it's a justice issue, and it's an access issue, right? Because it's in the court of the Gentiles. These are God-fearers. These are Gentiles who have converted uh, to worshiping Yahweh, making their pilgrimage to the Jerusalem temple, and worshiping Yahweh, right? And they're being excluded from, one, the inner inner parts of the temple, and two, they're being charged highway robbery, right? An exorbitant rates for things that they need that's necessary for them to make sacrifices, for them to worship, right? What if you came into this church 
And in order to release the pew Bible, you need to stick two quarters in. <laughs> Bible would be released. Ridiculous, right? You already passed that offering thing around. You want more money from me? Right? Jesus had just turned water into wine, and people were drinking, right? Later on, he would feed thousands because he had compassion on them. The disciples were like, send them away, we're tired. He's like, oh, like a, like a shepherd taking care of his sheep. He had compassion on them. He said, let's feed them, right? He broke the bread and broke the bread. He's the bread of life. Right? John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Right? I have water that if you drink of it, you will never thirst again. Water that springs up into eternal life. Jesus is, is saying, I'm the source of abundance, of eternal life, of life itself, of salvation. I'm what everyone needs when they come into this place. Right? And Jesus is saying, look, the people are coming. Look up and look out. The nations are coming into Jerusalem. And you're making it so hard for them to come and drink from the well. You're putting barriers and walls and obstacles. There's a whole American ninja course out there that they have to like pass in order to like just come into the temple. This is wrong. And that's why you see this anger. And sometimes, as Christians, we're like, we can't be angry. Anger's bad, right? Rage is bad. Right? Christians are supposed to be nice. We're not supposed to have conflict. We're not supposed to get involved right, with things going on in the world, or politics, or events, and stir things up. Right? And say, no, maybe that's not right. Maybe you shouldn't do that. That's not the model of Jesus. That's not the example of Jesus. That's not what we see right here. Because when God sees the marginalized, the poor, right, or the weaker, not have access or be denied or be oppressed, God's heart is angry. And I'm going to send this video, I forgot to put it up, uh, this lady who, who speaks on the lectionary text, and she was speaking on this passage. She was talking about her friend who was, as a white woman, I don't get angry, I just get sad, right, was what she would say. And then something happened. She's a teacher in the academic field, and she was giving stats about uh, women uh, who say they've been sexually assaulted in their life. And the numbers were 70, 80%. And her colleagues raise her hand and say, this is, I mean, I think half of these aren't true, right? You, just kind of disregarding the statistics and disregarding like, why are we even talking about this? And she said her fist just clenched, right? It's not just about being sad. There are things that ought to make us angry. Yes. Which coming from a Korean American, Korean pastor is great. Because we get, a lot of time you hear KP, right? No, KR. K 
Korean rage. And like <laughs> Korean, like Koreans are notorious for like the rage and like ah, right? But I'm like, Jesus got enraged. Jesus got mad. There are times for us, right, to have righteous anger. Right? In order to add to lead anger leads to change happening. Right? When we get angry in our relationships, it means things are not right. And I want something to change. Maybe we don't have healthy ways of expressing that, but something needs to change. And anger oftentimes is a signal or a sign that something needs to change. And we shouldn't stuff that in or hide that. Behind a veneer of pleasantness or niceness, Amen. right? Or not caught stirring the boat. But we, part of being church, is saying, hey, there's a party here. And God has a party. Remember the pond behind me? It's still there. I'll fall back in the pond of living water back here, right? And Jesus is inviting people to come and drink, come and feast. Come and eat, come and be renewed, hashtag renewed, and be filled and be healed and be transformed. That's why we come into this place, right? Not just to get our lesson for the day, not just to have our kids taken care of, not just on third Sunday to eat fried chicken from Fred Meyer, right? <laughs> it's to come and drink and be shaped and renewed. It's it's, we come into this place because we're thirsty. We want Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're hungry. Sometimes life sets us in a desert and we're crawling in the sand. We're like, relief! Right? And Satan puts mirages left and right. Right? The mirage of a good life. The mirage of a new relationship. The mirage of addictions. The mirage of money. The mirage of this and that. But Jesus is saying, I have water right here, and it's going to spring up out of nowhere. Come, trust me, and drink. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that's what it means to be the church. Oh, yes. This is my favorite picture. Oh, yes. When I think about being the hashtag, being the church, being in the church versus what? Going to church or church as a building. It's in our language, right? I'm going to church. On Sunday, I go to church. Right? But that's not what's scriptural. Jesus says, I am, right, the body. And you are a part of the body. Right? I am the temple. And you are also the temple. We read the communal scripture. Said as much. Right? And so this idea of boundless set versus centered set. Um, you can look up YouTube videos all over the place about it. But a lot of times we exist in this, as church or as Christians, in the bounded set, right? And that meaning, here's a, here's a boundary, this red line, right? You need to confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. You need to do this and that. And, or maybe you need to act and behave. There's a set of behaviors that we expect Christians Right? If you're Christians, you're not going to kill, you're not going to steal, you should be faithful in your relationships. We know these things. Maybe some of us have grew up with even more rules and behaviors. You shouldn't drink, you shouldn't smoke. Don't, when I grew up, don't listen to rock music. Right? All kinds of things. And we, 
you know, we may feel like we're progressive or like we're beyond that, but we still have, even as any community has their certain things, yeah. right, that make a bound and set that determine who's in and who's out, right? We, you dress a certain way, you make a certain level, you have a certain level of education, or this and that. You know, there's internal implicit things that maybe are unspoken, but people feel it, and that's why they feel on the outside of a community when they walk inside a church. Yeah. Right? And so that's the bounded set. It's clear who's in and who's out. The problem with this, though, is when you're in, it's static. So as long as you stay in these rules and bounds, right, you're staying still so you feel you're okay. But everyone knows in your relationship and discipleship and faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus doesn't stand still, amen? amen. He's moving all over the place, and he's calling us to hear and hear and hear. Come, come and see. Come follow me. Go, go, go. And so if we feel safe being static in one place and Jesus is moving, uh-oh, uh-oh, you're in trouble. Yeah. Staying still means maybe you haven't even grown. Mm. And it's even a deeper problem because you don't know it. Mm. It's like a frog in a boiling pot. And the centered set way of looking at things, you have the center, in this case, Jesus Christ, the well, the living water. And people, uh, it's about where people are walking in relation to Christ. Are you walking towards Jesus? Are you walking away from Jesus? And as a pastor, as someone who is into evangelism, right, this excites me because it doesn't limit me to, I can only hang out with people who are following the rules or who look right, right? This means I can go out here, you know, with the bad of the bad and be like, where's Jesus? Mm. Like, how can you take a step towards Jesus? Amen? That's centered set. That's centered set. And really, it means that we're not bodyguarding for God. We're not protecting God and putting in a box and saying, oh, he's too small to change people to draw people, right? To attract people. Don't get me wrong, you can't completely, no place can completely take this and like throw it out, right? The creeds, right? You know, baptism, let's just throw out all the sacraments. Ah! No. <laughs> but at the same time, that can't be an end of itself or an idol, right? Just like the 46 years to build a temple. We can't spend 46 years building our circle. <laughs> right? I'm going to die before that. But we can be about this. Where is Jesus and where are people? And how can we give them hope and an invitation? Where is Jesus? Walk towards Jesus. Amen? So that's bounded set versus center set. We don't go to church, right? And we don't celebrate the people who come to church all the time or, or if you have perfect attendance, then your faith is strong. Though that might be a byproduct, but it's not the defining thing. Yeah. How we define movement in the faith is where are you in relation to Jesus? 
And are you going to walk towards Jesus and be a Jesus follower? Amen? Amen. And that's the whole, that's the whole thing of uh, missional, missional attractional language, right? You heard, oh, missional church, missional church, down with the attractional church, right? Um, it's more, the church has left the building. You've heard those, that language, right? Church has left the building. Church with no walls, like bust down the walls. And I'm still, well, coming from the parachurch, I'm pretty like deconstructionist when it comes to church. But as I've been a pastor and I've been ordained and like we've got pews in this church, I've become more like settled down and I've got this church conservatism coming up. And actually the covenant believes in like a, a kind of mix of attractional and missional for its church plants, if that makes sense. Because in the Gospels, Jesus says, come, come to me, right? That's an attractional model. We invite people to come, right? We still invite people to come to church, hoping that they meet God, hoping that they meet good people and worship, right? But also, we're renewed by God. That's our vision statement for the renewal of our neighborhoods. Also, the church leaves the building, right? We are the church, and we go out to our various places, and we are the church to people out there. That's the missional, the church focused outward and going out. And so, attractional and missional. But I think we need to continue to focus on the centered set, because it forces us to be improvisational. Rather than following a script, we as Christians need to have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, yes. right? And to know Jesus, to abide in Jesus, Amen. and to be led by the Spirit and become stronger in that so that when we go out there, we don't have to be like, okay, they asked this question about God. What do I say now? You know, but when we know, when we have this kind of centered setness, when we go out there and interact with people, we are just Jesus, people because we are used we know him and we're used to it and we know what it tastes like yeah. we have the odor of christ amen? amen okay i could go on forever but that's basically the point of this sermon <laughs> go out and be the church yeah. hashtag be church and that's a, one of the values of renew one of the values of renew is more than building a culture that is distinct and when people come into it they're like this is a definite culture, you know. We, we want to be a place that's, so, that's centered on Jesus, right? And that can go out and be with people incarnation.